The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. If we get to heaven, you know, you get up to heaven, the pearly gates, whatever, and we are greeted by the Metatron. I am 100% on board with this. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Legendarium Podcast, episode 228, where we're going to talk about the end of the world, and that's why I'm hosting today. <laughs> That's right. I'm your host, Ryan Bruckman. Uh, I know you're used to hearing my sultry voice. Apologize for other things, but today it will be the discussion of uh, Good Omens uh, by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Thank you. I totally just had a <laughs> mind blank there. Uh, with me today, I've got the part of the blue team. So we're going to be the purple team, the periwinkle, lavender, whatever. Pick a shade of purple. That's what we are today. Um, we're gonna talk Depends so on have... how long you hold your breath. <laughs> I have with me uh, Todd Wenty. Hey guys, and Megan Smythe. Hey, Welcome buddy. both of you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for Good Omens. Thank you for hosting. This is kind of fun. Yeah. Thanks for wanting to talk about this one. I've I loved this book the first time I read it. I loved yep. it the second time I've read it, and I am so excited for the things that are coming up with the Amazon uh, series and everything on on May thirty first. So I was really excited when you guys were on board. Like, hey, we should do this. So. Really excited. I don't have insults for you because I found out I was hosting about 45 seconds ago. Would you have done insults for us if you had known that we wanted you to host earlier? No, that's Craig's thing. Yeah, I'm not that yeah. callous and bitter. <laughs> yeah, we noticed. We, that's why we like you. And that's why that's why other people like Craig. <laughs> it's true. Everyone finds their soulmate somewhere, their soul connection, whatever it is here. Uh, all right. Um, before we get going, I think it should be, you should probably take a moment to Get a recap of what happens in Good Omens. How does the world end? And if we need a recap, there's no one better to go to than our one and only Mr. Ken Johnson. In studio. Yeah. 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 We're getting a live recap. Stu, stu, Somebody's got to push the buttons around here. Wait, that's Ryan's job because he's the host. <laughs> pushing buttons. Or is it Craig's job because he's... It just depends on whose buttons and what buttons you're pushing. Is oh, whose I, job don't is. Wanna, oh, I don't want to talk about done, your buttons Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. Mm -hmm. All right. Recap. <laughs> I actually did one this time. Yay. Yay! Otherwise, this would get really awkward really quick. Well, did you hear it, the first Children of Dune episode? It's, no. Yeah. Go yeah. with recap. Yeah, was, All right. Yeah. Recap. Armageddon. Say it again. Armageddon is days away, and as the forces of good and evil marshal in anticipation of all their fun, fiery ultraviolence, only two minor problems arise. The Antichrist has gone missing, and those who had been tasked with keeping tabs on him were actually keeping tabs on the wrong kid. Thanks to an accidental <laughs> slight of baby by the nuns of Satan. Whatever they're called. Yep. <laughs> oh, and also while trying to find the real destroyer of worlds, the angel Aziraphale and the demon Crowley come to realize that they've actually grown quite fond of the finer things the world has to offer, most notably good food, good cars, and queen. And they realize <laughs> rather... <laughs> Rather not see it all blowed up, so they hatch a scheme of their own to use the Antichrist to actually stave off Armageddon. Turns out Adam the Antichrist, who was supposed to be the unremarkable son of an American diplomat, has be been living in a quaint little British town, and things are pretty nice there and relatively quiet for him and his neighborhood gang, that is, until his 11th birthday, when strange things start to go afoot at the Circle K. <laughs> First, he gets a 
pet hellhound for his 11th birthday. Four bikers of the apocalypse show up, you know, because horses are so last century. Yep. And then things get really nuts thanks to the neighbor girl with her aunt's book of prophecies, aliens, lost cities of Atlantis. It's a whole thing. And the point of it all being that it turns out that the Antichrist isn't quite so anti as the infernal forces had hoped. And Adam starts using his powers to make the world better rather than harbage for destruction. Harbage. It's a word. Look it up. Trust me. I'm sure you did. Harbinge. <laughs> He's a harbinger. Anyway. And... Uh, so he and his crew fight back Apocalypse's uh, biker gang. Maybe if they had the uh, Archangel from the X-Men, <laughs> they'd have a better time, fared a little bit better and convinced forces of good and evil that maybe today is not the best day to have an apocalypse. So they postpone it to another day. Crowley and Aziraphale win. Life returns to normal. Yay. They make a TV show out of it. Yay, life. So that's, that's what I got. I don't really have any questions for you other than, Ryan, Are you how excited are you that... Uh, David Tennant is playing Crowley. That's all I really got. Back to our version of the them. And remember, <laughs> there's nothing like a bad recap done well. <laughs> or whatever that was. <laughs> that was nothing like. And now we mute Ken. Actually, we'll welcome him back in if he wants to come in a bit. Uh, but thank you for that. Uh, yeah. A book about the end of the world and a comedy. Not exactly what you would expect, uh, the pairing you'd expect there. No. Un unless you saw the name on it that said Terry Pratchett. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, give me your initial thoughts about what you expected when you first got into this, looking at that, like, you know, was it the uh, TV series? What was it? We'll throw it to Megan first. Tell me about your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I read it because I knew the TV series was coming up. Um, and I, I didn't think it was very Neil Gaiman-y. Oh, I forgot to look up when this book was written. Um, but it just, it, it felt very Terry Pratchett, which I don't have a problem with, like knowing that it was Terry Pratchett, I knew it was going to be humorous. I just thought it would be creepier than it was, but I really enjoyed it on its own merits. I really like all the characters. They are very memorable. And, um, I learned what ineffable means. So that's nice because <laughs> they say it a lot. Todd, what about you? What about your first experience? Coming so, to Good Omens? so this is my first experience. Uh, and when I say this is, I mean, like, uh, I, I mostly finished the book like a half hour ago, 45 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm liking the last little epilogue little bits. Um, okay, so you have seen the end of the world. You have seen how it resolves. I've, just... I've seen how it resolves and I, I, I have, well, we'll get to that. I have seen how it <laughs> resolves and, uh, uh, I coming into it, knowing that it was Terry Pratchett, I just I I just buckled my seatbelt and said, OK, let's just have fun for a while. And I was not disappointed. I think it's interesting the way uh, both of you talked about that with uh, Terry Pratchett, because I came from the other side. Mm -hmm. um, the only Terry Pratchett I had ever read was The Truth that we did for the uh, Brandon Sanderson oh, episode yeah, yeah, a while yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, but I had read Neil Gaiman. I had read his North Myth uh, North North Mythology. I'm struggling with my <laughs> Norse. <laughs> Yes, my Norse mythology, Stardust, um, The Neverwhere, books like that. So I was a lot more familiar with Neil Gaiman than I was with Terry Pratchett when I read this. And the first time I read this, this is, uh, it had been about a, I think a year, year or two ago I read this for the first time. Um, I remember reading this and going, yeah, this is Gaiman all over the place. Like, oh. that's, this is just, I, I felt like his. And then I read Terry Pratchett's The Truth and I went, and I, it immediately took me back to Good Omens and going, well, yeah, actually, I, this this style feels very reminiscent of yeah. of what I read in the truth, and yeah. so I, I really all of a sudden had this feeling of just wanting wanting to know the scale of how much is Pratchett, how much is Gaiman, yeah. or, or yeah. are these the sort of authors that the rarity of being able to blend so well that you can't tell where one like that's definitely a a, 
a Pratchett joke. That's definitely a Gaiman joke. I don't know. It, I don't know what the identifiers of those authors would be and where you'd find them in this one. Okay. But, so I think it's interesting that you guys came from the other side of that. Yeah. Um, I very much, um, in fact, when I was, when I was talking to my wife, I, I said, uh, I said, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're doing this, we're doing good omens. I said, it's too bad you don't enjoy the style of book. Um, and she said, oh, I, I think I do. I said, no, you don't. No, you don't. And she <laughs> said, well, yeah, I think I do. And I said, have you ever, have you done, have you read any of these books? Have you, have you done any of them with me? She's like, I think I have. I said, do you remember the hog father? And she goes, oh yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> and I said, do you remember going postal? She goes, Oh yeah, that was stupid. And I said, okay, so that's why I'm not letting you listen to any of this book with me. Cause I listened to it and I had my headphones on. She's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? I'm listening. She's like, well, I want to listen to, no, you don't. No, you don't. Cause all you're going <laughs> to so, say is, yeah, that's stupid. So you're um, saying it's not for everyone. I am saying that if you are, if that, that there are people who will listen to this and they will go, oh my goodness, I just can't believe they're yes. going to do it this way. But I, it's, it's funny lis- listening to um, the footnotes and those sort of things. It reminded me a lot of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Bingo. Douglas Adams, which I didn't actually really enjoy. But uh, I remember going to see the movie and it was me and one other person. The movie theater was full. And it was me and one other person who was laughing the entire movie. And I just thought, you people just... I don't know if they just don't get British humor, if they didn't understand what was going on, or if they didn't know what they were getting into. Um, um, yes, yes, and yes. Probably. But I just, I love this kind of humor. It I do too. So happy. I do too. It is, it is absolutely. It's just so British and so silly and just fun. Magnificent. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, Hitchhiker's Guide, because if you want a comparison, that's probably the one that I would most, yeah. I think most people would be able to yeah. associate with and go, okay, yeah. to decide whether or not you'd want to read this story. Uh, because it is such a unique comedy. It is British mm-hmm. styling. Um, but, man, it's it carries a lot of levels to it in terms yeah. of, like, <laughs> the comedy. There's, there's, there's you know, your very basic stuff um, uh, all the way up to dealing with the higher end of, you know, the ineffable plan and how really both sides, <laughs> both heaven and hell, are, have been wanting this war and, and been trying to get this to work out. Um, it The whole thing just makes me laugh. And it gives you, it gave me a little bit of time to think about you know what? What if this is really the case? Like, what if this worked out that way? <laughs> you weird. But let's dive into and, and kind of talk about characters because, like you said, Megan, they're very memorable characters yeah. offhand. Yeah. Um, starting off with Aziraphale and Crowley, um, our two you know protagonists here. Uh, Aziraphale is an angel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's the archangel after a fashion. Yeah. He, he's an angel. He had. Um, I believe, if I remember right, he is referenced. He's the angel who had the flaming sword in the Garden of Eden. He is, and he he is the cherubim and a flaming sword placed to guard the way. Yeah, well done. And Which, then, and what does he do with the sword? He gives it to Adam and Eve when they leave, <laughs> because it, it's really interesting. And we'll deal with this with Crowley as well. Is their characters are supposed to be like angels are always required to do good and angel they always must choose to be kind and do these things whereas you know the uh, de- demons are supposed to always be working to try and undermine humanity and do these things but it's throughout this entire story it's them finding the loopholes and and going uh-huh. contrary to their nature that makes their pairing work so well mm-hmm. that I really enjoy um I'm really excited for Char- um not Charlie Sheen that would have been a very different story. <laughs> that would yeah. be a different story. No, David Tennant. Uh, Michael no, Sheen. Michael Sheen. Oh, Michael, Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen yeah. is a zero fail. David Tennant will be Crowley for this. Um, 
do you guys have uh, anything, does, anything from the book uh, about Aziraphale's experience, anything that stands out to you, any moments in the book that you remember about uh, that Aziraphale had? Uh, for me, I, it's, it's his moments in the bookshop where he realizes that he has Agnes Mutter's, Nutter's uh, prophecies and that like, nice this is this book that everybody has been looking for for hundreds of years and he knows the pat and he's just so excited about looking at it and then he gets interrupted and accidentally dis, dis disembodied discomporulated i just made up a word y'all <laughs> um <laughs> disincomporulated yeah i mean because he can't die but he just i i really enjoy how ex <laughs> how excited he gets about about the books and um that he's just kind of you know chilling that, I'm sorry, the, that bookshop scene has one of my favorite moments that actually makes me stop and put down the book and like lap or turn my audiobook <laughs> off there because it's right after Sergeant Shadwell, you know, uses his fingers to shoot him uh -huh. and he lets fly with an F word. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, just, like, and he swears for the second time in five minutes. <laughs> yes. It's like, okay. And, you know, by then we, we've pushed him out of his character arc to be more and more you know yeah human i guess is the way i'd put it there but yeah. that's a really good that's a really good perspective i um the the conversations that he has about how he deals with being the the shepherd of humanity for six thousand years and some of the things that he has learned to do along the way like the the idea that he has this bookshop and it has a back room but in this back room it doesn't have the same things that everybody else's back rooms do and they there's these these insinuations of things and i say to myself i think i've been in bookshops like this mm -hmm. i think i've seen people like this who tolerate the rest of humanity at the the way a the way an uncle does when it's like yeah you're you're cute go away now leave Get me alone a little bit yeah um but in a very sweet and polite and very yeah. british way well and i i just i love that he owns this bookshop but he doesn't actually want to sell any of the books because yes. he's worked so hard to collect them so he's yeah. like i'm gonna have really random open hours I'm going to make these books crazy expensive. Yeah, yeah. Just anything he can do to not sell his books. The other thing that I really liked about, uh, and and for me it was, um, it was the very first, um, it was the very first moment where you see Aziraphale and uh, Crowley talking to each other. And he says, no, I, and we, we kind of alluded to this, the, the flaming sword mm -hmm. that he gave to Eve because it looked like a storm was coming. There she's is already a, pregnant. There's a very, um, there, there feels like, and beautiful writing, I think, to very early on in the book, give, give an indication that he cares, he cares more about these people, of, about all of the humanity that's around him. He cares more about them than he does about the ineffable plan. He cares, he, and in fact, I think there's a couple of places where, uh, where the where the the narrative of the book says that uh, Crowley and Azarafel have kind of come to the conclusion that they get along better with each other than they do with the people that they're supposed to be on team with, mm -hmm. because uh, they're the only two who've been on the Earth the entire time. It, it, yeah, and 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 this kind of a feeling, you know, I I saw little glimpses of that um, as it was going through. I think it's interesting because the, I, I appreciate where he's placed both these characters in their hierarchies um, of heaven and hell <laughs> because they're both high up important people. They're not the highest up, but it allows them to interact with, you know, the the Metatron and the... Yeah. <laughs> which, by the, the way... The Dukes of Hell. And the if, Dukes of Hell. If we get to heaven, you know, you get up to heaven, the pearly gates, whatever, and we are greeted by the Metatron, 
I am 100% on board with this. <laughs> I love the idea of that. Not the actual voice of God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's jump. Uh, we were talking about Zerofeld. Uh, let's just jump over to Crowley really quick, who's supposed to be the opposite setup, you know, right. a demon, who takes responsibility for the creation of multiple things that we all get irritated by, a certain, you know, <laughs> free, a certain uh, roadways. Okay, now and... neither of you have been on the M25, and I am telling you right now, Everything about that road that they've described, that it is a creation to channel the powers of hell, is true yeah. because I've been on that motorway and it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and like your cell service going down at just the wrong time. I, I love those moments. I, I think it's hilarious there. Um, but what what inter- interests me most about Crowley is just similar to Aziraphale. It's when he pushes to the other side, when he shows it, is it more of him being selfish and saying hey, I really like the earth. I like having these things so that I can live the life I want versus when he actually cares about people, when he cares about a zero fell and things like that. Because um, he like, he, he could be like one of those characters that could benefit a lot from the end of the world. Right, <laughs> right. He was the snake that tempted Adam and Eve. Yes. Like he's, he's got a lot invested in the evilness of the plan. And yet my very favorite, like the my favorite mental image, and I really hope they do this in the miniseries because I want to see David Tennant do it, is that uh, when they decide that they're going to help like influence or help the, uh, you know, child of Satan become <laughs> an evil child, they're like, oh, okay, let's bring in a nanny. And it's Crowley. Mm-hmm. Like the evil guy is the nanny and the good guy is the random gardener. And it's just like, <laughs> that is my favorite thing. I just think that is... It's so You'll be pleased because they did that. Yay! Yeah, saw that the other day. Yeah, they did that. I'm so happy. When they both left, they neither one of them made very much headway. I know. Well, and they're both just so horrified because, yeah, why wouldn't the child named Warlock be the be the evil one? Yeah, yeah. It, the names in this, like, I, I, I don't know how much time they spent on it, but this is like the most perfect naming of yeah your angel, your demons. All of your sub characters, like it's it's great. Uh, yeah. So let's jump to a couple of the other characters. I want to talk about them, and we can get into more plot points here. Uh, but the them, the, <laughs> they play a huge role in this because uh, they are kind of by the end the new horsemen of the apocalypse, I guess, or the anti horsemen <laughs> of the apocalypse. Yeah. The the, the, the bikers of the non apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, of the no apocalypse. The no apocalypse. Uh-huh. We'll run with that. <laughs> but Megan just created another word. I'm so good at this. <laughs> two for two. Um, I think that they are. Some of their discussions are the for children to be having the depth of discussions that they're having uh-huh. in this yeah. is really it's enjoyable here uh, because it really comes into why uh, Adam the Antichrist decides to do what he does at the end because. It's the influence of his friends. It's the influence of the world around him more so than his nature as the son of the devil mm-hmm. type thing that makes him decide what it does. So Can I just say, before we move on, yeah, go for it. the naming of the adversary, the Lord of Lies, the destroyer of worlds, the son of Satan, this, this long title that they give him all the way through. That was that was one of the first moments where I had I was I was actually mowing my lawn as I was listening to this. And I actually had to stop because I was laughing so hard. That they repeated it like eight times. Yeah, like eight times in a row. They just <laughs> keeps going through the whole time. It was baby A, baby C, baby B, and then goes through this whole paragraph. Yeah. It was it was magnificent. To me, it was it was illustrative of 
of how much there is spent built up and then how much little things can change if you if you do the right things. I I loved I love the way that they did that cuz as soon as he gets adopted they cease calling him the son of Satan, the Lord mm-hmm. of lies, the owner of the, whatever it was, I can't remember it all. Um and he's just Adam. This is really kind of fun. And of course the antichrist the antichrist in this story is you know living in Britain but he's raised by an American. Like that just of course <laughs> it just fits. Uh-huh. It fits there. I mean, obviously. Supposed to be, anyway. Supposed to be. <laughs> well, I want to look at um, a couple of uh, things about... Uh, it's interesting, as Adam comes into his power mm-hmm. around the them and as they're talking, the things that he talks about or imagines become reality around yep. the world. The Tibetan... Uh, Miners that the hollow earth, yeah. That comes okay, through. I could I didn't catch that. I'm like, why is this happening? Why are aliens coming down all over the place so randomly? Yeah, basically, anytime he talks about something yes. and says that it's this is the way it is, yeah, you know, I noticed I, the Atlanteans, mm-hmm. yeah. I got a kick out of the fact that as the as the captain of the ship is going through, he says. But of course, the people who had invented signal codes had thought of every possible eventuality. So he spent several minutes looking through the pages of codes and then he found it. XXXN, whatever it was, Atlantis has arisen. <laughs> it's already got its own code. Already covered. <laughs> I know. It, it, it's fun to see the ways that Adam's powers uh, show up. The UFO uh, coming down randomly at all kinds of different places. Mm-hmm. The Tibetans digging and it's... And the uranium. It, and as soon as you as as soon as the first one showed up and they were like, oh, my gosh, the the power plant is still running. But there's a lemon drop in the bottom of our uranium thing. What in the world mm-hmm. is going on? And I'm saying to myself, all right, this is going to buckle up. It, it might tight, have been a lemon drop. Yeah, the, I think the, uh, they do a great job in this of, of re- controlling the absurdity of what they're doing. I mean, there's definitely some strong stuff at the beginning. The idea of the chattering order of nuns. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could yeah. look at their, whose job like, they just always talk, but they're they work for the devil. They always they always talk because that's what their patron uh, saint woman is. Had me laughing so hard. And if you want right now, it's part of their marketing deal, whatever. But you can follow the chattering order of nuns on Twitter. <laughs> they post songs. They've rewritten things. Uh, they've rewritten songs. It's hilarious. I I love it. I show I've showed it to a couple people who don't necessarily have the same love of comedy and things like this that, that, that I have. And they're like, so these are satanic nuns? Why are you following them? Like, they are, but they aren't. It's part of a movie it's a thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking into Satanism right now, I promise. I'm just, no, not right now. <laughs> just saying, it's down the list a little ways. <laughs> that is one of the things I about know. Terry Pratchett that is so much fun, is that he handles... Uh, he handles some material that is tremendously irreverent. Yes. But not in an offensive manner, just in a manner that if you, if you, and again, I, I think you have to, you have to be along for the ride on his style of humor. It's just absolutely entertaining. Yeah. Um. He's, he's not, and, and he's made all of the powers that are involved in this struggle um, very detached from what we would normally ascribe to be good and evil. Um, they are they are less involved about good and evil on our level and more involved about good and evil about this ineffable plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it 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 makes it very interesting. Uh, at one point there was a there was a moment, and I'm trying to remember whether it was a Zarafel or a Crowley, but somebody says, you know what? the The reality is, if all of this happens the way that it's supposed to, 
Oh, it was uh, when Azarafel is bouncing back and forth in bodies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he gets into the he gets into the body of the of the televangelist. Oh uh, yeah. The the reformed <laughs> the reformed felon who's become a televangelist who really believes it all, and he's talking about the rapture. And, and Azarafel says, "Um, actually, no, that's not really going going to be how it happens. In fact, if it happens at all, then all of you are going to be innocent civilian casualties." By the way, where am I? Oh wait, I don't need to know that. I already know everything I need to know because of where I wound up. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bounce between the the characters and the fact that he finally ends up in uh, what's your face, um, Madame Tracy. Madame Tracy. <laughs> Madame Tracy. Sergeant Shadwell. You whore. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. So then, also, this is stepping back a little bit. The first time I read this, it took me a while to identify who am I following yep. because yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you're probably just shy of halfway into the book when they introduce Sergeant Shadwell, and then he's now a point of view that you're dealing with, and Madam Tracy. Like, I was going, okay, I don't know who to follow other than and, Aziraphale and Crowley. And Newt Pulsifer? And Newt, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing about the uh, the history of the witch, uh, <laughs> the order witch of, hunters. The witch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which basically the witch they finders, only ever got the witch one witch, <laughs> oh yeah and at the end when uh uh i think is it sergeant shadwell is looking back he's looking back through time at and he sees uh agnes nutter's yes thing, and she, she basically yells at him at the end it's yes just, it's beautiful circular <laughs> comedy it's it's great um sorry i need to <laughs> you can clear your mind <laughs> i had somewhere i was going and then i spaced where i was going <laughs> It's easy oh, to that do. that happens to me all the time. It, well, and it's and it's not just easy to do. It, it, I think part of the reason that it's easy to do around Terry Pratchett is that it feels very much like this entire thing is stream of consciousness. I recognize the artistry that's involved in this, and it's obvious that he's that he puts tremendous amounts of effort into it. Mm -hmm. But it feels very much stream of consciousness because, especially the so I read the audio book. Um, and as the audiobook is going through, and interestingly enough, I don't know if you noticed this, Ryan, but there are two versions uh, available in Audible for this particular book. Mm -hmm. One of them is the 12-hour audiobook, which is the actual reading of the audiobook. And then there is an audiobook version, which is a four-hour dramatization put on by BBC4 in 1994, something along the lines. Huh. Um, and the list of characters was huge. And as I'm reading through this, it says, you know, different different voice for every character, blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, if there's this many voices, I need to get the book because I know the way that Terry Pratchett works and I know how he's going to weave this. And the one and the other thing that I saw um, when it was talking about that was that so much of the footnotes are missed. And some of the footnotes are where some of the best comedy in this book is put into place. He introduces the joke with the characters but he gives the punchline in the footnotes, mm -hmm. and for me, that was a that was a tremendously enjoyable part of the book. I didn't even register because I I listened to it the first time as well. I didn't register. They would say footnote, but I didn't register that in the print it was actually a footnote at the bottom type thing. I was like, okay. And I generally the way I read, uh, if I have a book that has footnotes, things like that, I don't always look at them, and yeah. I would miss so much in this yes. book if that was the case. You would. Yeah, I I would and I would regret it because this those you have to those deserve the the time. Yeah, there's a part of me that hopes that this mini series is narrated a little bit. And I generally I do not enjoy narration. I find it super obnoxious mm -hmm. um and lazy storytelling uh in a visual form like movies or television. Um but for this one I just I feel like you would lose something if you didn't have it. Yeah. 
you would lose a lot if you didn't. You would lose it. a you would lose a lot. And not just not just unless in the amount they're of time. really good storytellers and they manage a way around it, but still. I'm sure Amazon has a great ineffable plan for the series that will <laughs> make sure that that's covered. Uh, yes, can I can I tell you what ineffable again. means? Yes, please. Because I didn't I listened to the <laughs> I've I've read this book twice and I didn't look up ineffable until right before we started recording. It says too great or extreme to be expressed or described in words. That is not at all what I thought it was. <laughs> what did you think it was? I don't know. Somebody ugly? <laughs> I don't think it was somebody ugly. I don't know. Come on, that was gold. <laughs> Mark for Craig's interruption in Hero in bad comedy. I don't get it. <laughs> Ineffable, uneffable. Let's call the whole thing off. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you how did you guys feel about the resolution of that of of dealing with the the impending apocalypse and how they kind of averted it. They averted it. Tell him, Todd. Okay. It's just, it's so wrong. So, so I've had a, I've had a long week uh, and I've been, I've been reading this. I've, I've been listening to this book every chance I get because I wanted to make sure that I was, that I was fully ready for everything. And uh, I had a, I had a deal that I did this morning. And so I, I went off and did that and I came home and, and immediately sat down and started listening to the book again. And I had my headphones on and my daughter said, you know, what do you listen to? You want to listen to it with me? And so I played a little and she's like, eh. and she walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that was when, then I shared with my wife, you know, I'm listening to this. She listened to it. Uh, okay. So obviously I have to have my headphones back on. And I, and I made the mistake of going horizontal. I laid down on my bed. I put my, I put my thing on, I put my headphones on and I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm, and I, and I know I'm just fine. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing is resolved and I wait, 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 wait. They were, they, what did I miss? How long was I asleep? I was asleep for 65 seconds and I'm, yeah. wait, go back. <laughs> and that was, is also, and I was paying attention when I read that part and I still felt that way where I'm like, wait, that happened really fast. I may need somebody to explain that to me. But, but the, the best part about it is, as I think about it, I'm thinking, and that's exactly what I expect, uh-huh. Terry Pratchett. Uh-huh. That's exactly how I expect things to go. And it was, it was, it was, funny it made me laugh harder because i missed that 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 12 seconds or 15 seconds that i had to go wait what go back and i i kind of enjoy that in in this story in terry and neil's writing that like the whole the best part of the writing is the journey and like getting there and then you get to the end you're like so that wasn't such a big deal but it was just so fun anyway (laughs) the the other thing that i'm hoping if they actually had apocalyzed Apocalypsed that uh, it would have been a big. She's going for the hat trick on new words. A cop- apocalypsed. Apocalyzed. Apocalypse. Apocalization. Nope, stop. That one doesn't count. <laughs> Only two. Okay. Yeah, I, I, while, and and again, it's it's very it's very typical British uh, British comedy. Uh, one of the things that they talked about uh, a couple of times is is about how certain kinds of things about this battle between good and evil are. Should be should be just. Uh, I think at one point they said it's it's a proper panto, uh, a pantomime. In and in British uh, in in British culture, pantomimes are are those very clear, very easily telegraphed, understood uh, melodramatic kinds of stories that everybody tells, and you just do them all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear, it's very obvious. It's not about great storytelling. It's about having fun telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to put that down for any of our British listeners. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. But it's, it's very clear that they, that these characters understand 
this is something that they are playing out, um, that it's pretty obvious how it's supposed to turn out. And yet with just a couple of little tweaks, they derail the whole thing and nobody even realizes what's going on. Um, I love the fact, um, one of the, one of the pieces that I loved is the end where after the, after the apocalypse has been averted and Adam's gone home with his dad and the, the, them are going and, 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 uh, the, the American sergeant has found himself at home and said, I'm going to be out in the field with dad (laughs) that, that Crowley and Azarafel are sharing a drink and Azarafel is sitting on the sword of war. Yeah. <laughs> it says, Oh, I realize I've been, because the delivery guy shows up to mm-hmm. pick up stuff. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He was, he was probably the only person in this whole deal that, that when he, when he was snuffed out, I was like, Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this poor guy. I liked him. <laughs> He's a nothing character. He's a throwaway character. But I cared enough about him that I was like, and maybe it was that he said he stopped long enough to write his wife a note. And then he walked out and he dies. Yep. Oh, he gets to come back. If I told my wife what happened to me today, she'd never believe me. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of the ending, Ryan? So I very similar in the sense of uh, all of a sudden you hit this point. It's like, oh, that's resolved. Okay. I was very appreciative of the fact that that. The Antichrist found the middle ground (laughs) (laughs) that he was like, and he kind of basically, heaven and hell are both, there's this whole buildup and everything, heaven and hell both come together and they're like, no, this must happen. You know, the the battle must occur. We must, you know, and everyone- Somebody has to win. Yeah. They are 100% in on the fact that there has to be a war between the two and everything has to end. And then he's, he kind of goes, no, why don't we just let people be people and let people realize- and I love the discussion that he has um, as people keep trying to recommend to him how to change things to make it better. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Things like, uh, make it so people, you know. Bring all the whales back. Bring all the whales back. You know, make it so people, people can't kill whales. He's like, no, because then if they do that, they'll just keep doing it. You know, people need to understand that if you do this, there are consequences. Yep. So he like he comes through and from previous discussions and, and things like that, he's he's had this whole beautiful uh you know life morality my moral compass might we even say an epiphany we might say that i'm not going to but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i just for me it was i enjoyed the fact that we got to this there's a morality to what happens in in here in the discussion there but it's not a beat you over the head saying this is the way that you have to be because that's not the way this story is written or designed to be Mm -hmm. it's simply saying that this is how things would work if people were kind to each other. This is how they work if they realized there were consequences. And just kind of held to that. I loved that discussion. It's, it, it resonated very much and worked really well for me. I got a kick out of Crowley mentioning several times, and some of those were some of those were his internal conversations, but other times it were external conversations with Azarafel and with some of the other characters. I got a kick out of Crowley pointing out that he didn't even really need to encourage people to be bad. He just let them be people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they would come up with all kinds of ways to screw each other over that hell had never even yep. contemplated. Yeah. And I got, and again, this is, I, I get that it's Terry Pratchett's talking to us about how we treat each other and, you know, all of those kinds of things. But it's really, it's really interesting that, that Crowley has a lot more humanity in him than some of the people around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And, and I'm, 
I and I have to admit that even listening to it on the on the audiobook um knowing that David Tennant was going to be playing Crowley all I could hear was his voice mm-hmm. going through that such it, great cast I'm I'm very excited about uh about how that's going to work out I'm hopeful and Amazon has a tendency to do really good things so I'm hopeful that their treatment of this is going to be um is going to be faithful all right, let's um, we'll keep this episode a little bit shorter for the sanity of our uh, of our audience here as well. But uh, before we do final thoughts, give me what you're hoping for from the television series. Oh, I mean, you so you well. you were really getting excited about you know certain scenes in there, Megan, things like that. What uh, in order for Amazon to be successful in this, what do they need to do for, in this series? I think they need to keep it whimsical, keep it light. Um, I don't want it to take itself too seriously. I, uh, I'm just enjoying a lot of the, I'm enjoying seeing, um, Michael Sheen and David Tennant together. I haven't done a lot of research on who all is in this, but I, I'm just looking forward to, um, all the scenes where all of the characters are together. Like I love the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think they are hysterical. Death standing at the trivia machine and the question about Elvis comes up. Uh-huh. Elvis died in what year and he won't answer it because he's like, I've never touched him. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite jokes in the whole book. Makes I, me so happy. I gotta be honest, the 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 four almost horsemen mm-hmm. of, <laughs> of the apocalypse, grievous bodily harm, hates all foreigners, uh, alternately known as uh, being cruel to animals, alternately known as uh, no, no alcohol lager. Alternately known. <laughs> if we had had more time, we need, we need to find some time. Maybe we can throw this out on Reddit for people to come up with the alternate horsemen of the apocalypse names for our panelists. For the oh, yeah. well, there we go. There we go. What, would our, what would our four horsemen of the apocalypse? <laughs> horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh name my be? gosh, that is so. And funny. which one of us would drive into the M25 firewall and just end up dead because we think we can jump? We can go through a way. Well, they does. did it. We should be able and to do it. And there's Ken pointing at himself. <laughs> if it's an obstacle, I. I will do it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also definitely want them to not shy away from the like the commentary in here, the social and political yeah. commentary. I one of the things that's just gonna stick with me for a while is um famine and the fact that he has he has this book that's out that's like what is it called? Like dying yourself. I don't know. It's it's basically like telling you not to eat, and he has this super model, it's very famous model that comes up and asks for his signature. And he can tell she only has like six weeks to live because basically mm-hmm. she's just starving herself. But she feels so beautiful and she's so famous because of it. And I'm like, that's horrifying. What about and the, also, what about the burger, the burger Lord scene? The which one? The Burger Lord scene oh, where he goes in and he's like, uh, there's no nutritional value on this. None the, of this the, is actually food. The cheerfully happy and the and the and the person back at the at the. Uh, uh, grill flipping burgers, singing Elvis songs, and yep. I'm saying to myself, "Oh yeah, that's just perfect." Because we're in Des Moines, so of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I am looking forward to, um, as as far as as far as scenes that I hope are executed well, I'm looking forward to the scene of the the combination of scenes of Azarafel getting disincorporated, disincorporeated. And nice. bouncing back and forth to all of the people that he has to bounce into, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing what those wind up looking like. Um, if if they're executed well, which I anticipate they will be, it, uh, they will be dropped down on the floor laughing, R O F L kind of moments. I I, I hope. Um, 
and if if those go well, I think there's I think there's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, obviously the all of the all of the things that are going on around this book that I I can't wait to see what the what they do with the uh, what did they call it the the car that uh, the wasabi. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm I I, ha- I have in my mind a a, a Lada or a Skoda. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the what it looks like at that. But um, these are you know these are these are pieces of and and for for me I guess part of it too is that um, having lived over in England for a period of time, there's a lot of there's a lot of things about that 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 I hear and I say to myself, oh that's funny, oh that's that's funny. I wonder if people think. I wonder if people understand just how funny some of those moments are. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about Milton Keynes being a modern city and there can be nothing really evil there because there's nothing really good there either. So, because <laughs> I've been to Milton Keynes, <laughs> um, there's but there's lots of there's lots of uh, opportunities for the like Megan was saying for the for the footnote pieces to show up. If they're going to show up, they they can make or break that mm-hmm. depending on how it's delivered. I agree. And for me, like the, I can, you can already tell based on the marketing, they're doing the visuals and everything. Like, I feel like they're going, it's, it's going to be very true to the, to the nature of the piece, the, the styling. Um, what I'm interested to do, uh, to see in, and would be the most dangerous for me. I really don't think that they're going to mess this up at all. The most dangerous place would be though, is where they decide to modernize it. Cause some of this text can, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't need updating, but it can be. That's the thing. It's it's not saying you know, there's no outdated ideas, but there are content pieces that will make more sense to a more modern audience if they adjust it a bit. Mm-hmm. And they've already you can already see it a little bit. They've they just released one about um, uh, it was war facing down Penny. Um, oh, a little piece there. So you can already tell that they're going to do those uh, those things uh, a little bit here. So I'm excited to see how they pull that off. Um, and that will be the biggest area where like, okay, you, you, I mean, you have, they've had Neil Gaiman on set the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I highly doubt that this is going to go very far from. Yeah. Well, I mean, Neil got to help pick some of the cast. Yeah. Like Michael Sheehan talks about how like basically Neil called him up and said, Hey, please come play as Zarephil. And yeah. he's like, well, yeah. Duh. So we're excited about that. That uh, starts May 31st, which by the way, I thought it very interesting that the end of the world happens on May 31st, and that's when Star Wars Land opens as well. <laughs> so basically, we're never going to see Star Wars Land because the world will end. Dang it. Or Crash that's what you do. Like for those of you who are, you know, gonna, the, the five of you who probably have, you know, passes to get in there, you'll, you can watch <laughs> Good Omens while you're in a seven hour line. That's a good so, idea. But yeah, heaven right. knows it won't be us, right? <laughs> yeah. No. Any final thoughts? Any, uh, you know, do you recommend the book? How do you feel about the book as a whole? Things like that. Oh, I recommend it. I just think it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's it's a lot of silliness. It's probably not for everybody. But if you enjoy Hitchhiker's Guide, um, if you enjoy, say, the movie Stardust, um, this this is something that that you could really like. I just I do. I think that the characters are fascinating. I think that a lot of the jokes are just brilliant. I'm really glad that I read this one. If you are a fan of this style of humor, um, then then it's absolutely a read. If you're not a fan of this style of humor, this is not a bad place to start oh. um, because it really is a, it's, it's approachable. There's enough, there's enough pieces that are modern enough so that it, you don't, you're not being introduced to Discworld. You're not being introduced to magic systems and all of those kinds of things that makes, that sometimes makes this kind of literature a little bit harder to deal with. Um, and then if you find that you do like this style of humor, diving into Terry Pratchett is well worth the time. I, I, I really like the book. 
Um, I really enjoyed the way the story was told, but the one thing that I, the one thing that is continuing to stay with me just a little bit is, uh, anathema, uh, mm-hmm. that, that at the end of the book, she has to go through life like everybody else because all of Agnes's prophecies were so exact and so perfect. She'd lived her life according to this series of prophecies and now she has nothing. And I think that's the best comment on the human condition that we mm-hmm. can possibly have, that, that everything's a surprise, mm. that we have, to, we have to make our own way the best we can. And, and I think, as I came away from it, I mean, there's lots of social commentary, lots of things that they can say, but of course me, I'm always looking for that level three piece. And for me, that was, that was a really powerful level three piece that pops through and says, no, this is, this is what life is about. You can't live your life always relying on somebody to tell you the right answer, the right steps to take. You have to, you have to take it on its own and just go with it, go the best you can. Yep. That's lovely. And I'm not going to try and follow that up with anything. I like the book. You should read it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep it simple, straightforward. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Make me feel a little bit smaller about myself. Hey, it was was a great thought. No, it was a compliment. He liked it. Um, So we're going to wrap things up here. uh, And uh, I don't know what we have coming up next or where we, uh, what's going on exactly. So just listen. Children of Dune. Children of Dune is the next thing going on? Yep. Great. I hope that's right. So (laughs) it doesn't matter. If you leave this episode on your phone or iPod or whatever for two weeks, it's going to become an episode of uh, a Queen album anyway. So yeah. (laughs) We ought to just take, we ought to put this up for two weeks and then pull it down or whatever the date is and just pull it down and let it become, throw some queen up there. I won't be a problem. <laughs> mama so mia, mama mia, mia, mama mia. Someone posted a go. joke about the, the best thing Amazon could do would be put up Good Omens and then just replace it immediately with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. The movie Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. You can uh, support the show on Patreon, join the conversation on Reddit, um, and any other way that we, Facebook, Twitter, you know, the website oh, website it's all great uh thank you all for listening if you're still around uh, and we've enjoyed the end of the world and we hope to see you at the next one mm-hmm.